0: Psalm is a prayer for good government. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son, that he may rule your people righteously and the poor with justice. Such a government would be godlike in its impartiality and for its care, top to bottom, for the common good. We now interpret King democratically with separated powers. Give the President your justice, O God, and your righteousness to Congress. If Washington, Hamilton, and Jefferson and Madison were father to those revisions, their grandfather was John Locke. According to Locke, government exists to preserve a community, small or large, and to protect the natural rights God given of its people. The powers of government are given with trust for the attaining of that end," he wrote. Locke knew that wars complicate this formulation. I've been reading James Michener's novel, The Source, an an 8,000-year stroll through the history of the Holy Land. In 336 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered Israel for Greece. Alexander's successor, Antiochus IV, decided that it would serve the empire best if all of the peoples practiced one religion, centered on Zeus whom he, Antiochus IV, personified. He renamed himself Antiochus Epiphanes, God made manifest, under penalties up to and including death. I quote, Jews could neither keep the Sabbath nor observe the feast of their ancestors nor so much as confess oneself to be a Jew. That's from 2 Maccabees chapter 6. Many faithful Jews refused to obey and were executed. In 166 BC, Judah Maccabee led a Jewish revolt that drove the Greeks from Israel. The Greeks were followed by the Romans, who ruled Israel through Herod, puppet king. John the Baptist chastised Herod for breaking divine law and was beheaded. Such things don't happen in our country as a rule. Our founders put a hard stop to religious executions. These founders were wise to human nature's mix of great and terrible potential and masterful at giving freedom air to breathe while frustrating its appetite for power. One of their best designs was the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof that plan would have spared john the baptist and saved the jews from antiochus epiphanes we call it separation of church and state karl bart the theologian deeply approved that separation bart appreciated the state ideally as an instrument of god he wrote Scripture tells us that the state has, by divine appointment, the task of providing for justice and peace. The church acknowledges the benefit of this divine appointment in gratitude and reverence before God. But Bart knew that his own country's government was the opposite of Godlike. He lived in Hitler's Germany, and in 1934 he led one of the bravest protests in the modern history of the church against the state, worthy of John the Baptist. It happened in the town of Barmen at a church meeting not unlike the Continental Congress. The Nazis had taken control of the state-established church and, along with other atrocities, had segregated congregations racially. Christians with Jewish blood were being forced out of Aryan-German congregations, another step towards Holocaust. In response, Bart drafted what became known as the Barman Confession. Christ not Hitler, is the revelation of God, it declared. Christ is God's assurance of divine forgiveness, and in the same way, with the same seriousness, he is also God's mighty claim upon our whole life. The Confession names separate roles for church and state under God's dominion. Rejecting, I quote, false doctrines of both church and state. The false doctrine of the state was the Nazis' expansion of government beyond its God given task of providing for justice and peace, to become the single and totalitarian order of human life. Equally false would be any attempt by the church to appropriate the character, the tastes, and the dignity of the state. Church isn't church and state isn't state when either usurps the other's function. To that point, a fine Arkansas judge, William Overton, once quoted a great Supreme Court justice, Felix Frankfurter, We have staked the very existence of our country on the faith that complete separation between the state and religion is best for the state and best for religion. If nowhere else in the relation between church and state, good fences make good neighbors. That was from Overton's opinion in McLean versus the Arkansas Board of Education overturning Governor Frank White's Act 590 in 1981, the Arkansas Creation Science Law. The court reinforced our national wall of separation for the sake of religious impartiality and for the common good. Judge Overton's decision was good government. Of course, with every great doctrine, there are questions. What do we do when we perceive a conflict between the laws of state and the law of God? To answer, let's define law. Richard Hooker, whom John Locke cites favorably throughout his treatises on government, defined law as any kind of rule whereby actions are framed, which Hooker applies from God on down to city council. People have been making laws since cave dwellers learned the hard way that the rule of every man for himself was not a recipe for happiness. Positive law is the philosopher's term for these human rules that frame our life in common. Such positive laws are the stuff that lawyers have to do with daily. What's on the books, they ask, and how does that apply to the case at hand? Our judges wear robes as though they were the mantle of a sacred duty. And they are. And Now the plot thickens. Locke made a case that there are natural moral laws, discernible not only to faith but even to reason, that overrule human legislation. For example, Locke identified a natural right to self-defense. Any human law that would deny someone that right is overruled by a higher law of nature. In church, we hear of God's law you shall not steal, you shall do no murder, love your neighbor as yourself, etc. Thus, our question What do we do when we perceive a conflict between the law of God, as Abraham Lincoln put it, the right as God has given us to see the right, and some positive law of city, state, or country? In the source, a certain Rabbi Akiba pondered how, as a Jew, he could, at the same time, be faithful to God who controlled heaven and obedient to the Romans who controlled the earth. Giving the state the benefit of the doubt, he compromised with Rome until he couldn't. Every possible concession he made to Rome but in the end, he had to proclaim that when the will of God and the law of empire clash, former must prevail. Mitchner wrote the source in the early 1960s, the era of Martin Luther King. In the South, King challenged human-made laws enforcing racial segregation. And when persuasion didn't work, King disobeyed these laws sometimes. God walks with us, he said. He has placed within the very structure of the universe certain absolute moral laws, and if we disobey them, they will break us. That's what Bart meant by saying, speaking of God's mighty claim on our whole life. What would Judge Overton, a good and conscientious jurist, have said to that? Suppose that he had been a southern state circuit court judge in a case involving Dr. King in jail for disobeying a law segregating seats on buses or in restaurants. In his conscience, our judge would agree with King that the laws on the books were spoiled by racial partiality. But as a judge, he was sworn to uphold the laws written. When laws of various kinds seriously conflict, that is a problem, sometimes rising to a crisis for a thoughtful, faithful, conscientious person. I am guessing, but I think that his duty would have been clear to Judge Overton. By his oath of office, he was conscience-bound to apply the laws of state, even if or when he also saw a higher law above them. We have different parts to play in a society. Preachers, professors, and reformers have latitude that judges and cops do not. They cannot enforce the law and break it, too. King would have played his role, and Judge Overton have played his, and both would have done so conscientiously for the common good. That way we render unto Caesar and to God in law. In the end, King's disobedience forced the issue on the nation's conscience, and our laws were changed. It is for reasons like that that America is great. I have kept bringing that up these last several years because I see Americans left and right forgetting it or denying it or fretting that we've lost it. We haven't. We could. Let's don't. We have it so good here, comparatively, that Mary Anton, a Jewish immigrant to America 100 years ago, titled her book about her immigrant experience in her new country, Promised Land. She found that Jews were more free and more safe in the United States than they had been anywhere in history since the Romans had destroyed their temple and dispersed them into exile. Our having it so good is not because Americans are better people. Our souls are standard issue. What's exceptional is this. Our founding principles are magnetic by design. They bend our laws towards justice. When King broke local laws, he could do so by appeal to that national design, our highest principles, which were, he knew, of God. Human government doesn't get much better than that, I think. Through our founders, God has blessed us. Let's let that inspire us to be thankful and impartial and attentive, top to bottom, to the common good.